Well, turn your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter number three. Colossians chapter number three is where we're going to start. We're going to look at a bunch of scripture this morning. We began last week talking uh, and looking in, in the Word of God at the ministry of love as we talk about the one another's that are given to us in the Word of God. And the, really, uh, the Bible tells us we're to love one another. And we talked last week about how that principle of love one another really is foundational to all of the others. All of the others are based in, uh, found in the fact that we love one another. If we love one another, we will at least be trying to do these other ones. Uh, but if without love, we're not even going to attempt to do the other ones. And so we talked last week about the fact that it was a functional love. It's something that's supposed to be part of our everyday life. It's not just uh, we just say, hey, love you. But it's something that's functional. It's something that comes out in action. And, and we actually fulfill that love with uh, showing our love like Christ showed his love to us. And then we talked briefly about the fact that a lot of times it's a forgotten love. That, that we forget to do it. We just forget to, to show that love. And so love is foundational, that, that first one another. But we are going to look, uh, last week we looked at the ministry of love. Today we're going to look at the first part of the method of love. Um, the methods of love. Just the first part because there, there's about 30 of them. I combined some and divided them up and actually condensed it down to 24. We're not going to cover 24 today. Uh, I'm actually going to be doing really good to cover the eight. So I divided it up into the methods of love, all of the one another's that we find in the New Testament. And uh, so, Lord willing, we'll have three messages dealing with these principles or these thoughts, the one another's that are found in the scripture, uh, and each one containing uh, eight of these that are found in the Word of God. So beginning here this morning, first of all, we see in Colossians chapter number 3, if you're there, uh, he says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and, what does it say there? Admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Now I'm going to be going through these relatively quickly. We have eight of them. And so I don't expect us to be here for an hour. We're going to try and do considerably less than that. And all God's people said? <laughs> all right. Uh, so we, will, we won't beat, but we're going to have to move quickly. And so it's going to be a little bit of teaching. Uh, you're going to want to take some notes. Maybe just realize these are dr- direct commands. These are things that we're told to do for one another as the body of Christ, as the family of God. These are things we're supposed to do. And first of all here, he says we need to admonish one another. To admonish is to reprove gently or to put in mind of. Basically, the idea is to give a warning, to warn somebody, to admonish somebody, to uh, reprove gently. It's not a rebuke. It's to reprove in in a mild way, to, to instruct, actually, to admonish, to show by instruction. I want you to know several things about this this command here for us to admonish one another. First of all, this is given to the church at large. Uh, the church at Colossae, it's given to everybody. Not just to the teacher, not just to the preacher. Not to just those in the church that would consider themselves to be counselors. This is something that as Christians we're to do for each other. We're to be admonishing one another, to reprove gently, to warn, to put in mind. We know that admonishing it must be done through 
a heart of goodness, a heart of love. Some may enjoy admonishing somebody else, but you know it's not going to be received well unless it comes from a heart of love. You know the old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And you can be a help to somebody if they know that you love them, if you know that you care about them, and you can come and put in mind or remind them of something that is very important for them if it comes from a heart of goodness. Romans 15, 14 says, And I must also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So he says, you're able to admonish one another. Why is he able to admonish one another? Because they're filled with goodness and because they're filled with knowledge. Have you ever had somebody come and try and tell you how to do something? It was obvious they didn't know how to do it. <laughs> they're trying to explain to you, like, here's what you need to do. And you're, you're just like, okay, thank you. Uh, I've got it. I'll be all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to make it happen. You know, and, and that's the thing. If we're going to really be effective at admonishing one another, we must be filled with knowledge. We must have uh, an understanding and a working of the thing that we're trying to talk about. You know, one time when I was a young man and I didn't have any kids at all, somebody asked me, and so I expounded on my great wisdom of raising children. As a young man who had no children, I told them about what needed to be done and how it should be handled. Basically, all I did was show my ignorance. Uh, because I had not walked that road. I had not lived that life. There, there is no way a young man who, without children, can even begin. I don't care how many books you've read. It's different than raising your own. And parents, you said amen. <laughs> yeah, it's something different when they're in your house. And I've tried to instruct even some younger people. They've come and asked questions about, you know, somebody else's children. And I say, listen, they're not your responsibility. You don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know the situations they're facing or what, you know, things they're dealing with and so on. So uh, you are not in a place to try and judge that situation because it's something they don't know anything about until they've walked that road. So we've got to be filled with knowledge. He says in Colossians 3.16 there, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That was first. And then he says, teaching and admonishing one another. So the knowledge we are to be filled with is the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If we really want to be a help to our brothers and sisters in Christ, if we really want to be used of God to try and encourage one another this way, to admonish one another, we need to be filled with the word of God. We need to be filled with goodness, filled with the knowledge of the things of God. Beloved, it's only through humility and graciousness that admonishment will be taken. And it's only when we remember our own weaknesses and our own complete and other dependence upon God that we will admonish somebody else without arrogance, but in love. We are to be doing this for one another. 
And let me say that effective admonishing takes both a hearer and an instructor. It takes both sides. So, beloved, if somebody comes to you and is trying to help you, and they are reproving gently, could you be humble enough to take it? Could you be humble enough to hear it? And say, maybe this is good for me. Maybe I need this. Nobody likes it right away. Not up front. But if you just be humble enough to say, Lord, teach me from this. Uh, Proverbs has a lot to say about the wise man. But Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 5 says, A wise man will hear and will increase in learning. A man of understanding shall attain unto wisdom. Yeah, a wise man's going to hear. Proverbs 9, verses 8 and 9, he says, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. So what I'm saying is, for effective admonishment to take place, is you've got to have both somebody who is filled with the word of God, who's filled with kindness, with goodness, and then you come with a spirit of love to help another. But then we have to be ready to hear it and say, okay, I probably needed that. I need to make that adjustment. So we're to admonish one another. We're going to move right along here. I want you to, if you can, turn your Bible to Galatians chapter number two. I need to give you these uh, ahead of time so that you can get there. Galatians chapter six, sorry. Galatians chapter number six. You're just Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, so you want to turn back a little ways there. Galatians chapter number 6, bear ye one another's burdens, he says here. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We see here, first of all, that this is a requirement of the law. He says, so fulfill the law of Christ. It's a requirement of the law. The law of what? The law God gave us in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine: that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's how we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. And he says here to bear one another's burdens. To fulfill something is to satisfy it, to complete it. If we're going to fulfill the law, this requirement of ours is to bear another's burdens. To bear means to take up, to carry. To help somebody with a burden that they're carrying. Anybody that is bearing or carrying a burden that is too much for them. That at times gets a little bit heavy. That they're going through this life. Have you ever, have you personally, who would give testimony today, say, I've had a burden at one time that was too much. We've all been there. We've all had a burden at one time that for us was hard to carry. But we're supposed to be bearing one another's burdens. There's supposed to be a brother or sister in Christ that would come alongside and help you bear that burden, help you carry that burden through that time, that struggle, that challenge. Let me just say, because today there is a mindset of entitlement that's prevalent in society, and there's a mindset that everybody should be doing for me. I want you to understand the the heartbeat of this admonition here to bear one another's burden is what we're supposed to be doing for others. Okay, that's that's what we're talking about. Sometimes people look at it and say, yeah, how come nobody's bared my burden recently? 
you know, the Bible is very clear that we all have responsibility. You know, the Bible tells us to take up your cross. Pastor Derek's not supposed to be carrying my cross for me. You know, we have a personal responsibility. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 5 says, For every man shall bear his own burden. So there is a principle in the word of God that, that we, we have some burdens we're supposed to carry. And we shouldn't be expecting everybody else to do it for us. But on the other side of that, God is telling the church family, saying, hey, you need to look and see somebody that needs help carrying a burden. You need to help them. You need to help carry, bear one another's burdens. I don't have time to develop and to, to lay this all out. We'll, we'll maybe Each one of these could be an entire message in and of themselves. And maybe someday we'll do a Sunday school series on these or something and kind of develop them further and talk specifically about how we do that. But I want you to know that when you bear your burden, when you daily pick up your cross, God gives you enough strength to bear the load. But not only that, it's through bearing the load that we gain strength. Beloved, it's when we bear burdens that we gain strength. And not only that, it's through the bearing of those burdens that we are able to help somebody else in theirs. When we've gone through that, when we've walked that road, when we've carried that burden, that's when we are, to real, we are really able to effectively help carry somebody else's burden. Then I want you to see, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And a bunch of turning in your Bibles. If you want to, there's a pew Bible there in front of you. Most of the pews have a, a Bible there close by. And uh, you could look in those. Those are this there for people to use. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 18. A familiar passage of scripture here. He says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now we know that this passage of scripture is dealing with the passing of a loved one. And the fact that we don't sorrow as those that have no hope. And that we know that just like Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that one day we're going to uh, raise from the dead, or, the, or we which are alive and remain should be caught up together with him in the clouds. Amen? And the Bible says to comfort one another with these words. There is the admonition here that we should be comforting one another. Are you bringing comfort to another brother or sister in Christ? Are you adding to their burden or to their blessing? Are you being a comfort to them? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. We're to comfort one another. He says, comfort one another with these words. There's many things that we can do that will bring comfort to another soul, but the word of God brings comfort. Comfort one another with these words, that is, with the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 3 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. He's the God of all comfort. Do you need comfort today? God will give you comfort. 
He'll, he'll give you comfort. As God's people, we're to comfort one another with these words. Now we want to also turn to Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. We're moving right along. Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse number 24. Let's read it aloud together. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So we see here we're to consider one another. To consider, that is to observe fully, to examine with attention. To consider, it's not just to passively have a thought about somebody, but to consider one another, to get to know somebody, to observe fully, to really see them and who they are in their situation and where they're at and what they're dealing with. You know, we're not going to be very effective at comforting them if we haven't considered them. You aren't going to be very effective at bearing their burden if you don't even know what their burden is. And that takes this, that we consider one another. Considering one another, that means to give careful consideration or attention to. Let me ask you. Now, there are some that are new in the auditorium. John and Kim will give you a pass. (laughs) There's some others that are relatively new. But let's just say this morning you took a 15-foot circle around you. How well do you know those people? I mean, we're not going to say, do you know everybody in your auditorium today? Do you know everybody you know, here? But what, if we just took a circle 15 feet around you, how well do you know those people? Have you taken time to consider them? Have you said, boy, I need to know them better. I need to know a little bit about them. I need to stop and talk to them. I need to hear their story. I need to find out what burden they're carrying. I need to find out what God's doing in their heart right now. Maybe there's something I could pray with them about. Maybe there's something they're excited and they're rejoicing about, and I could rejoice with them that rejoice. Amen? Yeah, we're, we're, we're rejoicing today with Kevin and Margaret. Hallelujah. What, what a victory. We're, we're rejoicing. But it takes considering one another. He tells us here the motivation or the reason to consider one another, the reason to fully examine and give attention to another. He says that we might provoke unto love and good works. It is to motivate each other, to love one another, to motive each other, motivate each other to good works. You can provoke another to love and good works by your right example. It's a very powerful thing. What kind of an example are you setting? Is your example provoking others to love and good works? And you can provoke others to love and good works by your exhortation. By, like we began with, Admonishing, just mild, what is the word? No, the word mild, what did I say? Mild rebuke, mild rebuke, not mild reproof, not rebuke. Rebuke is a stronger word, mild reproof. So you can provoke the love and good works by admonishing one another. So these things are really intertwined in a lot of ways. But they're things that God has told us as 
his children as part of the family of God that we're to be doing for one another. They all stack upon each other and they are intertwined and they almost sometimes can't do one without doing the other. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 25, he says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. That you should have care one for another. Again, it's all intertwined. Do you, do you care for one another? That's one of the things as parents you really try and teach your kids. Because you know the sibling rivalry. You know the, the way that a sister can get under the skin of our brother. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the things that, that happen in, in fun can end up causing pain <laughs> and sometimes actual physical pain to their siblings, to each other. And, and you try and tell them, listen, you can't act like that. You've got to love one another. You have to care for one another. One day, maybe the only person in this world that you have is going to be your brother or sister. You got to, you start building that relationship when they're four and five and six, not when they're 30 or 40 or 50. You start teaching them how to get along when they're toddlers and say, uh, no, we don't hit girls. Now you can hit your brother, but don't hit, no, don't hit, no, no. We don't fight. We don't fight. Don't let your children fight. To my, to my knowledge, my kids have never, in all the years of growing up, have ever had a fight that turned physical in any way. I mean, not even come close to it. And uh, I can think of one time in my life when I was growing up that I wanted to hurt my brother. <laughs> the problem was, is he was a lot bigger than me. But I wanted to hurt him. I'm just being honest. I'm just telling you the truth. And I'm not going to tell you what he did to me, but he deserved it. <laughs> the problem is, is he was so much bigger than me that I wanted to hurt him. And so I was going at him and he just leaned back. And as I was coming in to try and hurt him, he grabbed my head and held me like this. And that just made me even matter because now I wanted to hurt him, but I couldn't. So he was, I was here, I was trying to swing, and he's just staying back. He's just holding me like this, you know. Okay, are you done yet, you know? And, and it just made things worse. I was so angry. Now, I want you to know that probably 10, maybe 15 years later, he got right with God. <laughs> and he apologized to me for that day. And then I had to apologize to him for my spirit that I had, that I wanted to hurt him. That's the only time ever in all the years growing up that, any physical type of altercation happened between any of us six kids. And you teach that. And you'll go a long ways to helping people get along in the church if you teach your kids to get along with each other. Because the church is a big family. You know, when my kids are dating somebody, one of the first questions I ask is, how many siblings do they have? Because I want to know if they're a spoiled brat. If she's an only child. I look at my son and I say, you got a problem. This girl's been babied. She's going to be high maintenance. That's just the facts of life. So teach your kids to get along. We chased a rabbit there. You need to care for one another. 
this is what we're supposed to do in the family of God. It's a sign of a healthy church when there's care one for another. You know, most of the time, our immune system, if it's functioning correctly, the immune system knows the difference between a pathogen, anything that's foreign and shouldn't be in the body. The immune system is designed that it would attack things that are foreign, things that shouldn't be there, any type of infection or disease. However, on occasion, there's people that have what they call an autoimmune disease. And there are many different variations of of how this plays out in the body, but ultimately what it is is that the body begins to attack itself. There's something wrong in the body. There's something not functioning as it's supposed to, and and the, 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 the body thinks that these are bad cells, and they're not bad cells, they're good cells, but the body goes and tries to kill those, and then things aren't functioning how they should. Well, there's some churches that have some autoimmune disease. There's some attacking one another in the church, and it shouldn't be that way. There should be love and care for one another. We should be protecting those things that are good and should be in the body. The greatest example of this expression of care is found in that story of the Good Samaritan. We see in that story that in Luke chapter 10 and verses 34 and 35, he says, And he went to him and he bound up his wounds and pouring in oil and wine. And he set him on his own beast and he brought him to the inn and he took care of of him. He took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and he gave it to him to the host. And he said to him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I'll repay thee. Are you caring for one another? James chapter 5, verse number 16. Turn there. James 5, 16. We don't have time this morning to teach you all of the different aspects of this. This is a passage of scripture which has been used many times, even in my ministry, where people call to uh, ask of the church and ask of me as their pastor and some of the men of the church to come and maybe anoint them with oil, that we might pray over them, that the prayer of faith would bring healing. And I believe that we do have a great physician, and I believe that God can and has the power to heal And I I have on occasion gone and anointed somebody with oil and prayed. It's the prayer of faith. It is asking God to do a miraculous thing in the heart or in the life of somebody uh, to bring about healing. And I believe that. But he says in this passage of scripture in James chapter 5 verse number 16. He's discussing and talking about getting this healing and praying for one another. But he says here, confess your faults one to another. And pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There is the confessing of our faults one to another here. We're to confess our faults one to another. Can I ask you this morning, have you ever made a mistake? Yes, we've made mistakes. I believe that there is some misinterpretation or misapplication of this. Now, confession is good for the soul. And listen, if you you want to bear your soul and, and... Just get clean before God and his people. You can do that. And sometimes that can be used to motivate and encourage other people. But you understand this morning that there's only one mediator between God and man. And that's the man Christ Jesus. There's nobody else here in this room that can do anything about your faults besides Jesus. Nobody else can offer any forgiveness or any absolution or any any type of covering of your sin besides Jesus. 
So we should, we should go to Christ and confess our faults, confess our sins to him. When he, I believe what he's talking about here, when he's talking about confessing your faults to one another, I believe that the principle or the idea of, ha- of having a conscience void of offense before God and man. We should have a conscience 100% clear before God and man. If we're going to come and ask God, Lord, I've got a need, I need an answer to my prayer, then we've got to be clean, amen? We've got to be right with God. We can't have anything, you know, the Bible says your iniquity has separated you between you and your God. That, that, that a man that regardeth iniquity in his heart, God will not hear him. So God's very clear. He says, listen, if you want to have your prayer answered, then you need to be right with God. You need to have nothing between you and your Savior. So I think that we need to confess our faults to God, but also there's the aspect of having a conscience void of offense towards a brother or sister. And if I'm really going to beg God and I want him to come on the scene and do something miraculous for me in my heart, I can't have aught in my brother against Bob. I can't have an issue, something that I've offended him and haven't apologized for and got right. And I think if you're going to ask somebody to come together and pray. So what I'm saying is this confess your faults to one another is not stand up in church and everybody start bearing their sins. Okay, God's the only one that can forgive sins and we carry our sins to him. But if you've offended somebody or you've hurt somebody or you've done something wrong, you need to get that right. You need to confess that fault to them. Say, man, I did wrong. I messed up here. Would you forgive me? I'm going to try and do better. Confess that fault. I think that's the principle or the idea here. Then I want you to see where to have compassion for one another. In 1 Peter 3, verse number 8, he says, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one for another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Compassion, beloved, is more than just a sympathy. It goes beyond that to empathy. We know from the book of Jude that true compassion makes a difference. Do you want to make a difference in somebody else's life? Well, there's one person that does. Amen. Well, have compassion. You want to make a difference, have compassion. Compassion makes a difference. There's, there's many times that I feel woefully inadequate to do what's called upon me as a pastor. I go down to the hospital, kneel and pray with somebody who's fighting cancer. I just sit there and think, what can I do? I, I know God can heal it, but I mean, all, all I can do is pray. And I've, I've maybe foolishly, I've said that many times. All I can do is pray for you. It's, to use that word all in front of that is kind of, kind of bad. Because that's a big thing. To be praying for one another. But I've had many people say, listen, you're just being here. you just having some compassion. It makes a big difference. Just showing people that you care. Have some compassion. You can make a difference. Let me give you the last one. If you've been counting, you're like, how, how much further we got to go? All right, we're going to be done here in a couple minutes. Be kind, be kind one to another. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 32, he says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. There's a bumper sticker out there that says, Don't tell me what kind of day to have. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. 
That, of course, is in response to people saying, have a nice day. You know, if there's somebody living with so much bitterness and anger in their heart that they look and say, don't tell me what kind of day to have, they're probably not going to have a very good day. <laughs> I mean, that's just a fact. <laughs> they're just not going to have that kind of a good, that much of a good day. But, beloved, there's nothing wrong. And the best way to have a good day is to be kind, is to be kind. Human nature is to be selfish, to be critical, to be angry, to be unforgiving. And many, sadly, spend their days living with these kind of spirits or attitudes. But the Bible says, be kind to one another. Just because those around us are angry doesn't mean we have to be. Just because those around us are, are critical or short or cold or don't have time for anybody else, it ought to be a motivation for us to go one step further and be that much kinder. You know, a kind tone in your conversation doesn't cost you anything. Just having a kind tone. I was talking to one of my children. I won't tell you which one so that I don't embarrass them. My poor kids, they get used as illustrations all the time. (coughs) But it's from a heart of love. So I was telling one of them, listen, you need to listen to how you're communicating what you're saying it's coming across angry it's coming across attacking maybe you're just communicating but you need to think about how you're saying it because how it's coming across maybe we could record it so that you could hear what you're saying but I've just noticed recently that your tone is not kind and you know to have a kind tone in how we communicate costs us nothing with, with everybody. Proverbs 31, 26, that description of a, what we call the Proverbs 31 woman, says she opened her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. The law of kindness. Are you kind? Marianne Adams always went to the post office branch across town because the postal employees at that branch were very friendly to her. She passed the branch that was close to her house and went to that one because those postal employees were friendly. One day during the Christmas season, she was in line to buy some stamps. The line was kind of long. And she was waiting patiently and somebody noticed that she was there and commented about her, you know, her needs. She said, oh, I'm just here to buy some stamps. And they said, oh, well, you don't have to wait in line. There's a vending machine right over there that you can buy stamps out of and you can go. And she said, yes, I know, but the vending machine won't ask me about my arthritis. The vending machine's not going to be kind to me. Not going to say, how are you doing today? I want to encourage you, Christian, to be kind. Kindness doesn't cost us. I'd like to share with you a story that I read this last week. It was about a taxi driver. He said, I've driven a cab for 20 years. When I arrived at this particular home at 2.30 in the morning, the building was dark, except for a single light in that ground floor window. 
Under these circumstances, many cab drivers were simply honked the horn and waited a minute. Nobody responded. They would have driven away. But I've seen far too many impoverished and poor people that depend greatly on taxis as their only means of transportation, so I couldn't drive away. Unless the situation smelled of some type of danger, I would always go to the door and knock. And that's what I did on that morning. From inside, a frail and elderly voice responded just a minute. And after a minute or two, the door opened and there was a small woman in her 80s that stood before me. By her side was a small nylon suitcase. Would you carry this bag for me to the car, she said. I took the suitcase out and returned to assist her to the vehicle. Taking my arm, she walked slowly towards the curb. She kept thanking me over and over again for the kindness that I was showing her, and I said, oh, it is nothing. I simply try and treat all my passengers as I would want someone to treat my own mother. When we got in the cab, she gave me the address where we were headed, and then she said, oh, by the way, would you mind, would you mind driving through downtown on our way? I told her, that's not the shortest way. Oh, I don't mind. I'm really in no hurry at all. I'm on my way to hospice. I looked in the rear view mirror, and her eyes were glistening. She said it almost to herself, but she said, I, I don't have any family left. And the doctor has said, I don't have very long to live. It was then that I reached over and shut off the meter. What route would you like me to take, I said. And for the next two hours, we drove around the city. She showed me the building where she once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where her and her husband lived as newlyweds. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that at one time, she said, was a ballroom. And it's where she learned to dance as a girl. Sometimes she would ask me to slow down in front of a building or to pause at a particular corner. She would sit staring into the darkness, reminiscing of the days that were gone by. As the first hint of the sun was creasing over the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm ready. Can we go now? We drove in silence to the address she had given me. It was a small, low building with two orderlies came out of the front door as soon as we pulled up. They were solicitous. They were kind. They watched her every move. They'd certainly been expecting her. I opened the trunk and took out the small suitcase and carried it to the door. She was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you? She asked. No, you don't owe me anything at all, I said. Oh, no, no, you have to make a living, she answered. There'll be other passengers for that, I responded. I bent over and I gave her a hug. and It was then that she held me tightly. And she said, thank you for giving an old woman a little bit of joy. I squeezed her hand and I walked away into the dim morning light. Behind me, the door shut, and the sound of it was as though it was closing on her life.
I drove aimlessly for the rest of the day. I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten into the cab of an angry driver? What if she would have found somebody that morning that the meter was all that mattered? On a quick review, I'm not sure in 20 years that I've ever had a fare that was more important than that ride. You see, beloved, we've all known hardship. Everyone here has endured pain. We've all been mistreated, misused, and misunderstood. We know what it's like to be laughed at or to be made fun of. Everyone here has been hurt at one time or another. But could I implore you this morning, instead of letting that make you hard, will you let it make you compassionate? Instead of letting those hardships of life, which have a tendency to draw the kindness out of you, will you use it in the power of God to bring kindness to you? So that you can be used of God to show kindness to others.